Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 3. It's, it's exciting to hear the message sung. I love the way in which Terry and Michael do that here. I love that. It's just, it just like a flow. It starts at the beginning of the service and keeps right on flowing. The God of all comfort, and this is part 2. The God of all comfort. We saw last week in verse 1 the phrase, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God. And we found that that word will means not just what God demands, but it's that in which he takes great pleasure in. He gets great joy out of something here. God took pleasure in making Paul... The Apostle Paul, he made him an apostle in the New Testament. And God took great joy using the Apostle Paul. When we finally come to that place in our life and begin to realize God wants to use us. And as long as our heart is beating, then God has a purpose for us. When we begin to realize that, we begin to understand that God wants to do his work through us. It's not about us doing anything for him. It's what he wants to do through us. Then we begin to realize that to use us, he locates us. He puts us where we can be the most influential to the world which is around us. As we saw last week in the phrase, to, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, but the church just isn't at Corinth. And so he adds, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. God had his people all over Greece. God had them scattered exactly where God wanted them to be because he wanted to use them to influence the world around them. All of us today are strategically located right where God wants us to be. And until he moves us, we have a purpose of being influential the right way around us. Even though we have flat roofs <laughs> and stucco and dry climate, last week was so hilarious. I mentioned that in all three services and how many people have migrated into Albuquerque as myself and Jim and many fam families I know about. And the first culture shock you get when you get here is those flat roofs and everything is brown. And you see stucco like you've never seen stucco. I mean, it's everywhere. And then the dry climate and your, and your lips start getting funny feeling and burning and, and you just go through all of that. I'm grateful it's three years ago, but it took a while. And last week, I don't know how many, but 15 or 20 people came up to me and said, boy, you really nailed me. Maybe their husbands were in the Air Force. Every one of them was a lady. I thought that is interesting. 
You see, ladies, men don't care. All we care about is having a roof over our head, a big screen TV, a recliner, and a refrigerator that works. That's all really we care about. I really do appreciate the ladies even more so today than I did last week. Because you bring the beauty into our lives. And it's you that, that, that brings those type of things to us. If, you, if men didn't have women in their lives, it would be one dull place. You can imagine a man living by himself. Four walls, not a picture on it. And he doesn't care what color the walls are painted. And he has that big recliner with a big screen TV and all the empty chip bags on the floor and, and uh, candy wrappers and empty drink cans. I mean, that's kind of the way we would live. I'm grateful you're there. But so many of you came to me and said, you know, that's given me a brand new purpose where I am, that God didn't by accident put us out here. We're here providentially. Well, that's what we saw. And Paul says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from our Lord, from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we're going to be used of God, if we understand that God wants to use us, do something through us, we understand that he's located us where he wants us to be and he wants to influence the people around us, we have to participate in his grace or it'll never take place. You see, we can't. God never said we could. He can. He always said he would. What's he talking about grace to you? He's talking about living grace, Jesus being Jesus in us. Unless we're going to live that way, we cannot influence the world around us the way he would have us to influence them. And not only that, we cannot even be usable to him. God wants to use us with a surrendered, yielded heart to him so that he through us can touch the world that is around us. And that's the enabling power, the transforming power of his grace. And it's then, only then, when, when you're living surrendered to him, understanding that you accept the place that God has put you, understanding he wants to use you to touch the people around you, that's when you have peace like you have never had before. Grace to you and peace. But there's something we need to understand. As we let Jesus be Jesus in us, as we allow him to touch the people around us by his grace enacted in our life, there's something we've got to realize, and it's critical. Just because God is using us where we are, just because we have this peace of our heart to know that God and us, we're doing good, and, and we're allowing him to do through us what he wants to do, doesn't mean that the people around us are going to enjoy it, especially within the church. And this is a hard thing to say, but this is contextual. I don't have an agenda in my heart. Don't, don't jump ahead of me. Paul is writing this, and we're going to see how he's had a difficult experience with the Corinthian believers, and we're going to see how he found the comfort that he needed in God and in God alone. The pronouns he uses in verses 3 through 11, we, us, our, are either speaking of, of Paul and his company around him, Titus and Timothy and others, or it's a, it's, it's a writer's way of referring to himself in the plural. Many times you see that in Scripture. It's one person talking, but he speaks as if it's more. But it's, it's intensely personal. This is what Paul has been through a, a crisis in his life. He's been through suffering. He's been through sorrow caused by the people of Corinth. He went there to influence the world of Corinth, and he did for the right way. But many believers didn't like what he was doing. The Lord Jesus says in John 15, 18, so very clearly, 
if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And in verse 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. They say, Wayne, that's the world. That's not the church. I know. But contextually, if you've studied 1 Corinthians, it was the world of Corinth that got into the church. The church did not get into the world of Corinth and influence it for the kingdom. No, they let the world inside the church. And that same mindset is what's caused Paul the grief in his heart. All of that that Jesus said in John 15 was in the context of what we've just talked about, a branch learning that the only way it can bear fruit is to abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine. And when Jesus is allowed to express his life through us as the branch, as we abide in him, it's him and his word that the world cannot stand. Even the, the world within the church, the people that won't walk with God cannot stand Christ and his word. You see, you expect to find the, the criticism and all the other things, the hurtful things that people do to you, you expect to find that in the world. But what catches us off guard, it's like a curveball that hits you, is when you find it inside the church. And Paul had found it inside the church at Corinth. He had found the hatred that was directed toward him, certainly from the world, but he also found it within the walls of the church. So what he says in verses 3 through 11 is powerful encouragement to you and for me. When we seek to let Jesus be Jesus in us, when we seek to be the branch and let the vine produce the fruit through our life, it helps us to understand better why it all has to happen. And we find, find like Paul found, the source of our comfort is not going to be in individuals as much as it's going to be in God. He is the resource that we run to. He is the refuge that we run to. Let me ask you a question today. What's going on around in your life today? Don't raise your hand or say anything, but just think about it. What's going on in your life today? Are you catching grief because you're just simply wanting to let Jesus be Jesus in you? Are you catching grief from the people that you've never dreamed it would come from simply because you want to seek to let Jesus live his life through you? Well, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul would put his arm around your shoulder this morning and in the passage of Scripture say, listen to what I have to say. I've been there and I've done that and I have received comfort beyond explanation from God and only God. Paul has good news for all of us today. In verse 3, he breaks out into praise. And I want you to notice, and this is the only verse we're going to look at, but he breaks out into praise, and when he does, he doesn't praise God for what he's done for him. He doesn't praise God for what he could do for him. He praises God for who God is. And unless we have a high view of who God is, praise will never emanate from our hearts. God doesn't have to do anything in our life. We sung it a while ago. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, but he also takes away. You see, the only way you can say that is if you have a high view of who he is. And then praise just emanates out of your heart. It doesn't matter how difficult life is. It doesn't matter what you've had to go through because you're understanding the character of God and that he is worthy of praise. Paul doesn't speak of what he's done for him until he begins in verse 4. Verse 3 is just praising God for who he is. He's the eternal source of all comfort. And there are four things he praises God for in this passage. First of all, he praises God for his character. He praises God for his character. 
He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now notice that first little phrase. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important, first of all, to recognize that the definite article is put before God, which signifies and which glorifies him that he's the one and only God. He's the one and only God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't it interesting? We even sung it, blessed be the name of the Lord. The little be, in, in, if you've got a good translation, if you don't have a good translation, I encourage you to buy one, is in italics. How many of you know what it means when it's in italics? Just raise your hand. You don't have to say it out loud, but you, okay, good. It means it's not in the original text. And when you look at it in the original text, it's quite different what you see. You see, the original text is, should say, blessed, comma, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the verb is missing in the original Greek text, it's like a Hebrewism. It's, it's when a statement is made that is so put into concrete, nobody ever should challenge it and nobody can ever change it. That's what he's talking about. Blessed, comma, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the word blessed is the word ethlogitos. comes from two words. Eth means well. And then the word logitos, which means to speak, to speak well of something. And it's not a verb. Blessed be. It's not a verb. We, we act as if it is. God needs to be blessed. Blessed be the name, name of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father. No, that's not what he's saying. It's not a verb. It's an adjective. And it's an adjective describing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the word blessed is a special word, especially of God, because it speaks of someone or something that's worthy of praise, inherently worthy of praise. God is inherently blessed. We don't have to bless Him. He doesn't need that from us. Whether He ever does anything or whether He ever doesn't do anything, or doesn't do anything, then He is inherently worthy to be blessed. You see, God didn't create us because He needed praise. I've heard people talk like that. Boy, we better praise him because that's why we're here. God, God needs our praise. No, God doesn't need our praise. God could do without us in a second because of who he is. He's, he's God. But because of who he is, he chose to create you and I. And he doesn't need our praise, but we desperately need to praise him because he's the only one who deserves to be praised. The ending of this little word, eflogitos, T-O-S, gitos, that little T-O-S, is only that word in that form is only used of God and the Lord Jesus Christ all through Scripture. Why? Because there's no one else and nothing else that's inherently worthy of all praise. God is worthy of our praise, not just because of what He's done. No, it's because of who He is. And that is so important to understand. So the word blessed here refers to the worth of God to be praised. It refers to His holy unique character. There's no one like him. And he deserves the praise of all because that's who he is. Paul praised the character of God. Blessed the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say it again. Before he ever recounts anything that God has done for him, he doesn't praise him for that first. He praises him for who he is. We just studied Habakkuk, and most, uh, most of us w stayed with me through that study. And in chapter 1, Habakkuk wasn't praising God. 
But when Habakkuk caught a glimpse of who he's dealing with, the last chapter shows that he just simply bows in the presence of the one who is worthy to be praised. Understand something. We have got to come back to a high view of God. And when we have a high view of God, we'll have a high view of his word. And when we have a high view of his word, we'll have a high view of his grace that he offers to us so that we can be usable in the world to which he has located all of us. Paul is drawn in praise to the character of the one that deserves that praise. And that's the way it should be in our life all the time. No matter how bad life gets or no matter how good life gets, push all that aside, God is still worthy of our praise. Secondly, he praises God for his covenant. To show you the character of God, that he doesn't need our praise, but yet God loves us so much he created us. He created us that we might have fellowship with him and be in covenant with him. He wants a relationship with us. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does that mean, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? It, this puzzles me. Well, in the Old Testament, you find the one particular phrase over and over and over again. And it's very similar, except it says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And why would it be stated that way? I mean, if, if he's God of one, he's God of all of them. But the reason it's stated that way is that God made covenant with Abram or Abraham. It became Abraham in Genesis 17. And then he passed that covenant on to Isaac. And then he passed that covenant not to Esau, but to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. And what he's speaking of in the Old Testament is God is a covenant God. And he's not only in covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but with all of their physical seed, the whole nation of Israel. Because of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were in covenant with God. And it was, a, it, was, it was the physical seed that could enjoy the blessings of that covenant. Well, the phrase in the New Testament, God, the, our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is very similar. It's essentially the same. It denotes that God now is in covenant with us with a much better covenant of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. It's a spiritual covenant. It's an eternal covenant. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in covenant with his Father, that through Jesus, the mediator of that covenant, then now God, the Father, is not only in covenant with his Son, but he's in covenant with all the spiritual seed of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the children of God, the family of God. By saying God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not in any way doubting the deity of our Lord Jesus. Jesus has always been God. Now, that, or Jesus is his earthly name. But Christ has always been the Son of God. The term explains a special relationship that God the Father had with the Son in this covenant relationship for the redemption of mankind. God is the Father of Christ's divine nature. By eternal generation, Christ was always the Son of God. I want to make sure we get this clear in our minds. Christ was always the Son of God. In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, what? Was with God. And the Word was God, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And he uses the imperfect tense. And I know sometimes I can't get it out like it gets in. It just frustrates me. But the imperfect tense is, is continuous action in the past. No beginning and no end. 
In the beginning was, and always had been, and always will be the Word. And the Word was with God. Always had been, always will be with God. And the Word was God. Always had been, always will be God. Christ has always been God. He is, he is God incarnate. He, he is, he is the, the Son of God. However, let's take it a step further. He became the Son of Man. He's always been the Son of God, but He came to earth to become the Son of Man. He got His human nature by miraculous conception. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came to earth to be born of a virgin, the Son of Man. And He received His human nature from the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah and the line of David, as was promised in the everlasting covenant to Abraham. In verse 14 of John 1, after already saying that he's always been God, he says in verse 14, and the word, Jesus, became flesh. And he uses the aorist tense. At a historical time, an event took place on this earth. And that event was the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus into this world. He had always been the Son of God, but he came to earth to become the Son of Man, the God-Man. And that aorist tense points to that event, the immaculate conception. You see, Paul is not in any way doubting the deity of Christ by saying God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what he's pointing to is a covenant relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And therefore, since there is that relationship, and since Jesus went to the cross for you and I, then through Jesus we can enter into a covenant relationship with the Father. I've said it a, a hundred times as I've been here. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a covenant relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the mediator of this better covenant. It is through Christ, the eternal Son, our Redeemer, that we are sons of God. Now listen, and God is now our Father. Since he has that special relationship with his son, because of that, he has that special relationship with you and I. Because of our covenant relationship, we can now come into his presence. We can benefit from all that he is and all that he's about. We can come to him. Some people, in one country I went to, I've been all over the world, but in one country I was in, the church was a refuge from God. Isn't that sad? Instead of a pl place to point you to God, we run to him. He is our refuge. So whenever Paul was in need, when Paul had been burdened down, he knew where he could run. He knew he had a covenant relationship with God the Father. When we're treated wrongly as Christ was, and when we're in depths of despair, as Christ was as the Son of Man, we are the children of God. And as God the Father was to Jesus, so Jesus becomes to us. Our Father welcomes us to himself. He understands our suffering. He understands it. The Lord Jesus suffered in all manner like we are and yet without sin. He's our high priest. We can run to him. He understands and he cares about you and I. So I understand what Paul's doing here. Praise him. Praise him for his character. He is worthy to be praised, but oh, praise him for his covenant. He didn't need people, but he chose to create us. He wanted us to be in relationship to him. He wanted us not to have a physical relationship with him, but to have a spiritual relationship to him, which is forever. And because of Jesus the Son, 
we can run to him and call him Father. Paul has discovered this. And in the scene around this is the hard difficulties he went through at the church of Corinth. Had to write them three letters. This is the fourth letter he's written to them. And the third letter he wrote to them is lost. Must have been a very difficult letter. And when he sent it with Titus, he couldn't wait to hear back how they would respond. And they've responded correctly. And the Apostle Paul is so comforted, he writes 2 Corinthians. And he starts immediately praising the God of all comfort. Praising him for his character. Praising him for his covenant. And thirdly, he praises him for his compassion. You see, not yet has he done anything. For, yes, he's done many things. But Paul's not referring to what he's done, but to who he is. He's a compassionate father. I wonder how you think of God the Father today. You see, what we do many times is take earthly fathers and try to compare them to Christ and to God. Hey, you can't do that. They're nothing alike. He's the perfect father. Think about being the perfect father. And so, therefore, he cares perfectly for his children. Verse 3 again, blessed be the God and Father of our, they see that word our, Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's our Lord Jesus Christ, he's also, his Father is also our Father. And then he says the Father of mercies. In this case, meaning of Father, when it's attached to mercies and not to God, means he's the originator of all mercies. To put it in my own terms, God the Father is the well out of which all mercies flow. The word for mercy is in the plural form, indicating many, many, many different ways in which God shows his mercy, the many different types of his mercies that's available in him. The word for mercies is the word eternos. Now, that's a, that's a different word than what most people think it is. This is the word that does not point to something that somebody does. It points to the heart behind what somebody does. This particular word uh, is so unique from the word elios. Elios is the word that means the deeds that somebody does, the merciful deeds that they do. But ekteremos is the heart that's behind it. This this word describes the, the compassionate heart that God has. That's who he is. It's not like something he does. It's who he is. From researching this word, we find several encouraging things about this mercy. This mercy and compassion of God, the heart and the character of God, encourages us to entrust ourselves to him, to daily present our bodies to him as living sacrifices. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God. Zach word, ikteramos. He said, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And what he's saying here is, why would we go anywhere else? Why would I not surrender myself to him? He's a merciful God. He's the perfect father who wants to be in a covenant relationship with me. The way he treated Jesus is the way now Jesus treats me. And so it's like the disciples who said one day to Jesus, Lord, if we leave you, where would we go? There is no other place to go. All the times in my life that I've chosen to go other routes to find what I was looking for and couldn't find it, I mean, you could write a book about it. And here he is standing there in front of me saying, Wayne, do you understand who I am? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he said, it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. Why would I go anywhere else? Maybe you're a skeptic and you're in this congregation this morning. Why would you go anywhere else? 
God is a compassionate God. He's demonstrated that by sending his son to die for us on the cross. He's a God of mercy. He's the father of all mercies. And I'll tell you what, this mercy, which enables us to, to, to draws us to him, is also the very mercy that comforts us when we suffer. You see, once you get involved in this relationship and you begin to walk with God, that mercy overflows and you begin to receive the benefit of that. You say, how does that happen? Now, I want to share something with you. Make sure you catch what I'm saying here. When we allow Jesus to be Jesus in us, he is the well of mercy. And when we allow him to come and comfort our hearts, not only does he comfort us, as verse 4 will go on to say, but he uses us now to comfort somebody else. Many of you are wondering what kind of ministry you have. And you're wondering what is your gift, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe you're still confused. Listen, look at your life and see the places where you've been comforted and watch and ask God, God, now you've comforted me. Let me be a comfort to somebody else. And that's the Lord Jesus using you in their life. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the word compassion is that very word for mercy there. What he's talking about here is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 24 says the same thing. He says, put on the new man, which is Christ in us, the Father of all mercies. <laughs> We've run to him, and he's shown his mercy to us, and now he wants to use us to show mercy to others. We're never told to show grace. We're told to show mercy. Why? Because all of us have suffered, either from the consequences of personal sin or just from being alive on this planet Earth, seeking to live, live a life that's receptive to Him. We've all suffered, and therefore we show mercy. But it's Christ in us, the, the Father of mercies, the, the well of all mercies, and it's so desperately needed. You may be here today, and you need the mercy of God. You need that desperately. In times of distress, it is needed. Even in the Old Testament, you never see this change except it gets much more glorious in the New Testament as he comes to live in us. But God, our covenant God, has always been there in times of distress for his people. Why? Because he's a covenant God. One leads to the other. In 2 Samuel 24, 14, it says, Then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Boy, I can, I can really relate to David. If you've ever read the Psalms, he's in trouble, three-fourths of the psalm. And I can always relate to him. I can always relate to him. And he's crying out to God. And he says, I'm in great distress. And look what he says. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord. I, I like that. Let's just cave in to God's hand. We can't handle it ourselves. For his mercies are great. And then he shows the contrast. He says, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Because a man, apart from the mercy of God, will never show you what God will show to you. And if you ever find mercy in an individual, don't you ever praise that individual. Praise the God, the Father of all mercies that lives within him. That's what you're experiencing. God does that in our life. It's also needed in times of sinful rebellion. Anybody in here sinned this past week besides me? <laughs> Some of y'all just won't be honest. Well, I'll tell you, when you've sinned and you know you've sinned, you need his mercy big time. And you want to run. You see, what Paul is saying is it's not as much as what he is. It's who he is. You run to him. He's the father of mercies in times of rebellion. The time of the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, Daniel 
said in Daniel chapter 9. He understood this. He understood how his own people didn't deserve God's mercy. And he says in Daniel 9, 9, To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. How many times I've driven down here to preach and acted like a pagan on the road before I got here. Walk inside and you think, what in the world are you doing, Barbara, standing up behind a pulpit telling anybody anything? And you know what I have to do every time? And it's not as much as I have to do. I'm drawn to do. is to get before God and say, God, you always said it would be that way. You understand, you've helped me understand the wickedness of my flesh. But, oh, God, this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. It's incredible how we how we run the wrong way. When we sin, we run away from him instead of running to him. Paul said, listen, listen to who he is. Look at his character. He's deserving of all praise. Look at his covenant heart. He covenanted with man through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because he's in, in covenant with us, look at his compassion. He's the father of all mercies. But then finally, Paul praises God for his comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. This word comfort is the word that we have been waiting for since verse 1. We, we've already looked at it in our introduction. The word comfort, as we saw the last time, is paraklesis. It's the word para, which means alongside or near and it means, and kaleo, which means to call, to be called alongside someone, the act of coming alongside someone, to encourage them, to exhort them, to give them comfort in times of distress. And he's the God of all comfort. It's the heart of God towards us to come alongside us. Do you, do you realize that's the word for the Holy Spirit? It's called the divine comforter, and it's that same exact word. And when we live surrendered lives to him, then God uses us to come alongside a brother. But when we're not living the way we should live or we're going through different, difficult valleys in our life, God uses a brother and in his life brings him alongside of us to encourage us. God is the God of all comfort. And that word all is the meaning, means all, but, but don't jump too quick. It means each and every time that you've been comforted, and then all of those times when it's put together, God is the author of it all. I was listening to the radio, Moody Radio, when I was in Chattanooga. You don't have it here. We have good radio stations, Christian radio stations, but we had Moody there, and we had a lot of great speakers on there. And you could just ride and listen to preaching all day long. And one day, I was going through a hard time. Just, just leave it there. I was going through a hard time. And I was listening to the radio, and a fellow up in New York, and I think he's dead now. It's been several years back. He said, listen, why don't we try for the next 30 days to have a God watch? And I thought to myself, now what's a new program coming along, you know? But the more he talked, the more he made sense to me. He said, the problem with us is we're in covenant with this covenant-keeping God, but we're not even looking for all the different ways in which he's comforting us, in which he's encouraging us, in which he's loving us. So I decided to do it. It radically, radically affected my life. All of a sudden, I began to notice somebody would send me a little card right at the right moment. By the way, that's happened many times here. Thank you. 
And I thank you for Jim and the staff. When, when you encourage, you don't know what that does. Same way it goes back and forth to, uh, from us to you. But as God makes us more sensitive to the needs around us, that little note that would come at the right time, that email that would come at the right time, one of the things that's very special to me, and I'm just going to be very personal with you today, is I love wildlife. You say, yeah, you like to shoot it. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a balance in all of this. But I love to see game. I love to see the deer. I love to see things like that. And sometimes I, I haven't pulled a trigger on a, on a buck in a lot of years because I just enjoy watching them a lot of times. And one day I came down Snow Hill Drive outside Chattanooga and Ottawa, and I came to that stop sign, and I just stopped, and I leaned forward, and I put my head on the steering wheel, and I just wept. And I said, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Will you please help me? Help me. Just cry it out to him. I raised up to look at the traffic, and I looked to my right, and a doe deer walked up, stopped, turned her head, and just looked at me. I'd never seen a deer there since I'd lived there in almost 10 years. But that day, that moment, God had something there just to catch my attention. And I had to write that down. God, thank you. Thank you. I wonder if you've noticed how many times God has done that in your life this past week. Are you, are you thanking him and praising him for it? He's the God of all comfort. Well, I was comforted the other day because such and such came to me. Quit deifying the individual and start deifying God. God came to you. He used an individual to do it. He used an individual that was surrendered, located where he was supposed to be, that influenced the world around him. That's what it is. The praise never goes to man. The praise always goes to the Father who is the well, the source of all comfort. Again, there's no true comfort that does not originate from God. It, no true comfort. As the Father was comforting to him, he is comforting to us. The Lord Jesus becomes the embodiment of that. It says in Philippians 2, 1, Therefore, if, and that if is a first-class condition if, which means since, there's no doubt here, since there is encouragement in Christ, and there's our word right there. He's the well out of which it flows. And so we see that the source is God. But let me show you this. The most precious way in which an individual can be comforted is not by seeing a deer or not having somebody come up and put their arm around him. All that encourages him to the point. But the greatest comfort that God gives to you and I is through his word. All of God's word is a comfort to you and I. It's amazing how many people run away from the very thing that's meant to comfort them. In Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, the encouragement of the Scriptures, the encouragement of the Scriptures, that's the word right there, we have, we might have hope. When the word is proclaimed, when it's shared with a brother, when it's taken outside these walls and shared with someone, that is a comfort. It may sting at first, but it only hurts to heal. It's a comfort. It's God's divine way of comforting us on this earth. To illustrate this, Paul's preaching was called an exhortation. And that word means the comfort. It's the same word. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, For our exhortation, which means his preaching, does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing to men, but God who examines 
our hearts. The word exhortation is our word. So the greatest way in which God encourages us and comforts us as his children, and we're in covenant relationship with him, and he has such a compassionate heart, is through the word of God. So Paul praises God. He hadn't praised him for what he's done yet. He praised him for who he is, for his character. He praised him for his covenant relationship that he wanted through the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He praises him for his compassion. He's the Father of all mercies. And he praises him for his comfort. Now, let me ask you a question today. Are you running to men to find this? You see, this is where we mess up. Because this individual, this individual didn't do for you at a certain time. Listen, that's not the issue. The issue is God cares about you. Now, maybe that individual is having a bad day. Maybe he did, wasn't sensitive to the Spirit of God and couldn't encourage you, but God will find another way. God will always encourage his people. That's who he is, and he'll do it through his word. Are you seeking to live for the Lord and you're catching a rough time for it? You're in good company. But remember where your source is and start watching for how God is showing you comfort and compassion in ways you hadn't even thought about around you. It's God inviting you into his presence. Every time you go through a difficult time, God just simply gives you an invitation. Run to me. Come on, run to me. I'm, you're, you're okay. Come on, come on. And he puts his arms around us, and he comforts our hearts. You know, many have been the times that I've been there. I wish I could say it's been a piece of cake to let Jesus be Jesus in me. It's been bittersweet. Because I have a problem, and I look in the mirror every morning, and I see it. Biggest problem I face all day long is not you, not anybody out there, but it's me. I've got to learn. I've got to learn this. Years ago, I was doing a meeting in Mobile, Alabama. A good friend of mine, Bob Vereen, works for Precept Ministries, and he was pastor of the church there. When I got there, I was just, he asked me. Matter of fact, I remember him saying to me, what's wrong with you, Wayne? Where's, where's the smile? Where, where's the joy? And I'd be honest with you, I just, one of those times again, I say, Wayne, you must have had a lot of them. Yeah, write a book. And he said, Wayne, listen, Fred Wolf, that used to pastor Cottage Hill Baptist, he said, he's got a boat down at Destin. He's down there on vacation. Let's go down there and bug him. Let's go fishing. He said, now, it's only a three-hour drive. <laughs> and we can get back with a, within a couple hours of when you preach tomorrow night. I used to do things like that. I've learned not to do that. He came by and picked me up at the motel I was staying at, and we took off in the dark. And he put a little CD on that I'd never heard. First time I ever heard this song. I've heard it several times since then, but not that many. I heard it the other day at Pat Jenkins' funeral. Oh, man. Be strong and take courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Right out of Joshua. And man, that thing started going, and I, God, just reached through the scriptures in song and grabbed my heart. And I'll tell you, by the time we got back that afternoon, the smile was back on my face and the joy was back in my heart. God had comforted me. Where are you running to? You don't run to people, you run to Him. And in the stillness of being in His presence, His Word begins to refresh your soul. And that's how he comforts you. Oh, yeah, you can be consoled. Somebody can put their arm around you. You can see a deer, and he'll just bless you. But I'll tell you what will really comfort you will be the word of God 
that he speaks to your heart. He's the God of all comfort. That's what praise is all about. If you know who he is, you'll be drawn to him and you'll run to him. That's what Paul does as we get into this chapter. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.